this morning, we continue our fall journey on difficult discipleship. Discipleship is conforming to the image of Christ. It means following Jesus no matter what. Even when it means taking up your cross and following him all the way to the place of the skull. Discipleship is difficult. In today's Old Testament reading, the prophet Jeremiah shouts out a cry of lament. My joy is gone. Grief is upon me. My heart is sick. Hark the cry of my poor people from far and wide in the land. Is the Lord not in Zion? Is her king not in her? Why have they provoked me to anger with their images, their foreign idols? The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. For the hurt of my poor people, I am hurt. I mourn in dismay, has taken a hold of me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then has the health of my poor people not been restored? In this text, the prophet Jeremiah is weeping for the people. He's helping us understand that God is weeping as well. The people have turned from God, and destruction surrounds them. Jeremiah understands that discipleship is difficult. Jeremiah seems to believe the essential truth that life hurts. The people's arrogance and entitlement has wounded Jeremiah. They expect God to be at their beck and call, even when they have been unfaithful. They've turned to other gods. They've turned to idols. They're turning everywhere, looking for some way to leverage their relationship with God. First, they try Zion. Then they try idols. They seem to be turning everywhere except toward God and one another. Jeremiah sees the catastrophe, the impending doom, and Jeremiah is in deep emotional agony. In a deep emotional agony, he cries out to God, My joy is gone. Grief is upon me. My heart is too often as Christians, unlike Jeremiah, we edit our prayers to God. We speak honestly and vulnerably to friends, advisors, and even paid professionals. But we don't speak honestly and vulnerably to God. Jeremiah holds nothing back from God and models a prayer life of both praise and lament. Jeremiah's heart is broken, and he's not ashamed to cry out to God, My joy is gone. Grief is upon me. My heart is sick. Have you ever had a day like this? Maybe a week like this? Maybe months or years that this has been your, the cry of your heart, My joy is gone. Grief is upon me. My heart is sick. The circumstances of life swallow you up, and you're not even sure how to respond. Maybe it is the loss of a job, the loss of a dream, the loss of a loved one. 
Maybe you have felt isolated and alone. You question whether others truly care about your life. Maybe your concerns are of a larger nature. Maybe you are hurting and broken for all the violence in this country. People using other people to feel better about themselves. The lie that if you get more stuff, you'll be happy. Maybe the hurt is personal. Maybe it's communal. But no matter what, the pain is still real. You are not sure if you'll survive, much less be a disciple of Jesus. For discipleship is difficult. Life hurts. Sometimes the situations in life can so overwhelm us that we're not quite sure what to do or how to respond. Life hurts. And in today's Gospel reading, we hear about someone else who is encountering difficult days. There was a rich man who ran a business, and he had a manager who was rather inept or unfaithful at being a manager. So the rich man calls him on it. Give me an accounting, he says. And the rich man fires the manager. So the manager is now in trouble. He is out of a job, which in his culture means that he is also out of a home. If not right now, he will be before long. More than likely, he is also out of his assets and financial resources. Because if he squandered the rich man's possessions, he probably squandered his own too. Life hurts. The manager might be praying with Jeremiah, my joy is gone. Grief is upon me. My heart is sick. Sorrow and grief overwhelm him. His future looks bleak. He doesn't know what else he can do. He has no other skills and abilities to offer the world. He is not only out of a job, but the life that he had planned for is no longer the life in front of him. And now he's stuck. Living into an uncertain future, what will he do? The larger questions of life are overwhelming and confusing him. He begins to devise a plan. As my last move as manager, I will call the people who owe my master money, and I will reduce their debt so that when I am out on the street, they will welcome me with hospitality, and I will have somewhere to stay. I'll scratch your back, you scratch my back. I will rely on the community for support when I can no longer support myself. So he calls them one by one, and says, hey, you owe my master 100 jugs of olive oil. Guess what? Today is your lucky day. We have reduced your debt to only 50 jugs. And then he calls another. You owe my master 100 containers of wheat. Guess what? Today is your lucky day. You now only owe 80 containers. And as I'm reading this passage, I'm thinking, now I understand why he was fired. He seems pretty shady. 
And then Jesus ends the parable in the strange, awkward way that only Jesus does. He ends the parable by saying that the master commended him. Another translation says that the rich man affirmed him. I mean, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense, right? I mean, one question comes to mind. Why did the rich man affirm his dishonest manager for giving away his money? I don't think I would be excited if I fired someone and they gave away some of my money on their way out. And yet, this master affirmed his manager. Something else must be going on. Something else that lies surface that we are not initially picking up on. Many scholars suggest that what the manager might have been doing was taking out his own commission. He was removing his own money and assets and therefore sacrificing his own financial needs. They believed that the manager was taking out his cut, thus reducing the total amount that was owed. Okay, I get now how his boss wasn't angry. But this leads me to another even scarier question. Why in the world does he do this? If I'm getting ready to lose my job, my home, and my livelihood, I'm not going to give away the last couple of resources that I have left. This makes no sense whatsoever. Why would he give away all that he has left in order to help his master and his master's debtors? The manager took a risk. He risked giving up his financial means in the expectation that one of the people he helped would reward him with a place to stay. He was trusting in their faithful hospitality. Though the future looked uncertain, he gave away his own resources to rely on the hospitality of the people of God. Isn't this our hope today as well? We risk our time, our money, and our lives in the expectation that one day we will be rewarded. We are trusting in the hospitality of our God. As we sacrificially give away our resources, we trust that God ultimately will provide for our needs, as well as welcome us into God's own home after our time on this earth is done. Life hurts. But God healed. Though the manager was considered inadequate and dishonest, he is attempting to participate in an act of faithfulness. The manager had messed up. He had lost his job, his home, and his security. What was he to do? He was to be faithful the only way that he knew how. And given by the world's standards, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Giving away the last of his resources and trusting in the community to provide for him, this is difficult. The manager trusted in his friends to provide for his needs. And so are we to trust in God and the community to provide for our needs. Discipleship is difficult. How radically different would our lives look if we trusted God for our future instead of our own insecurity? This notion is central in Luke's theology, and it comes out very often in Luke's second book, Acts. Luke talks about the early church and how among them, none were poor. They shared their resources. They took care of one another. They took 
a risk. The manager risks his security, his financial means, on the hospitality of the community. We must also risk our security on God and one another's hospitality as well. This is difficult discipleship. It's also interesting to notice that Luke puts this text immediately following that of the return of the prodigal son. They're very similar stories. Stories about hospitality. And they actually might serve as two very similar stories. And I would argue that they can only be fully understood in the light of one another. For in the first story, the young man squanders his inheritance with drinking, partying, and who knows what. And in the second story, this dishonest manager squanders his master's wealth on who knows what. Yet in the first story, the young man comes to his senses and returns to his father's house, as does the manager. In the second story, he comes to his senses and gives up his own commission in order to reduce individuals' overall debt to the master. Maybe what Jesus was trying to say is that coming home to your father is just as important as looking out to others. Is it possible that by the manager looking out for others, taking a risk, relying on the compassion of others, he was in fact coming home to his father? Are the prodigal son and the unfaithful manager the same character in God's story? Both make bad decisions. I have a cold, if you couldn't tell. Both make bad decisions. Both come to their senses. Both trust in the hospitality of another human being to provide for their needs. The prodigal son comes home to his father, and the manager gives away his resources to others. If we think of the story of the prodigal son, we would think of it as a story that's about loving God. He comes home to his father. And if we think of the story of the dishonest manager, we might think of it as loving one's neighbor. He provides for others' needs. And so maybe loving God and loving one's neighbor are not mutually exclusive. Loving my neighbor is a way that I love God. And loving God is a way that I love my neighbor. Too often we tend to separate the two. Yet Jesus never did. When I sing worship songs, I'm loving God. Or when I read the Bible, I'm loving God. Yet when I'm generous to someone, I'm loving my neighbor. But what if Jesus was suggesting that when I'm singing hymns, I'm loving God and neighbor. When I'm generous to someone, I'm loving God and neighbor. That they're not separate. Loving my neighbor is a way that I love God. Because God created my neighbor and cares deeply about them, just as God cares deeply about me. Being a disciple requires both intentionality in loving God and loving my neighbor. We must not elevate one over the other. When asked what the most important commandment was, Jesus replied with two. Loving God and loving neighbor. And in these two parables, he tells the story of the return of the prodigal son, one who comes home to his father, one who loves God, and one who shares the last of his resources 
with others, one who loves neighbor. To take the message of Jesus seriously is to not separate these two commandments, but to hold them together at all times. Living our lives in service to God, following the path of Jesus, and loving God and neighbor. This is difficult discipleship. For this is not easy. The prodigal son, the dishonest manager, the people of Israel in the prophet Jeremiah's writing have each encountered difficulty. They've encountered difficult days. And so even when difficult days come, even when situations overwhelm us, even when we cry out, my joy is gone, grief is upon me, my heart is sick, we can remain faithful. Like the dishonest manager, our past does not condemn us. Like the prodigal son, our decisions have not condemned us. We can become a disciple of Jesus. For God in Christ is our provider. God provides for us even when we are overcome by fear about what tomorrow will hold. God provides for us even when our joy is gone. God provides for us when we're overwhelmed by grief, hurt, and pain. God provides for us when our hearts are sick. God is our provider. But God in Christ is also our Redeemer. God redeems us though we don't deserve it. Even though we, like the people of Israel, have turned to false idols, God is our Redeemer. And even though we've messed up like the dishonest manager, like the prodigal son, God is our Redeemer. And even when we're jealous, hoarding our own resources and possessions for ourselves, God is our Redeemer. God in Christ is our provider. God in Christ is our Redeemer. And so even when the difficult days come, when we shout, my joy is gone, grief is upon me, my heart is sick, there is hope. For discipleship is difficult, but there is hope. We are not on this journey alone. For God is with us. The community of faith is around us to offer us nurture and support. For though discipleship is difficult, there is hope. Life hurts, but God 